Hello. Hello and welcome to the Midlife Film Catch-Up, a podcast where we catch up on films that we've never seen before at this point in our lives. I'm Sam Tern and this is my co- colleague and confidant, uh, Chris Jenkins. Thank you. Hello, I'm Chris. You're welcome. Each week we watch a film that is new to us, starting from the year we were born and running chronologically through to the present day. Before the recording, neither of us know what each of us have thought of the film. Um, And we're up to episode six, would you believe? So it's 1988. Yeah. So. Yeah, holding back the years, as Mick Hucknall would say. You know, we've got Hucknalian, if something is Hucknalian. But this week you were talking about the director John Cassavetes, and what did you said? Something's very well. I'm I'm a Cassavetian. I'm a Cassavetian now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watched over one film by John Cassavetti. So um, yeah, two films. So so two. Yeah, I've seen two films by him. Um, I'm I've got my eye on one more as well because I'm uh, wow. because of this week's film. I'm in the midst of a uh, free trial with a BFI player. Yeah. Yeah, so got to roll hair. with the punches. Making yeah. hair, roll with the punches. Um, so just before I start, I've just got a little bit of housekeeping, Chris, if you don't mind. Oh, right, yeah, of course, go ahead. Um, we've had some correspondence this week. You're joking me. Uh, following last week's uh, following, wow. <laughs> following last week's episode. Well, 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 this is the week that we went truly international, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flemish, well, Belgian. Mm-hmm. Flemish, no, that's the, that's the same thing. Belgian, French, and one American listener who I, I'm inclined to say is Hannah Oldenburg, the star of the Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, she's she's our uh, celebrity listener. H- hello, hello, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Because she, you know, she follows us on Instagram. She liked one of our posts. She lives in LA, Big so I'd say that's the American listener has got to be. Yeah, I mean, there's there's four American listeners, and I know for a fact that um, one of my best friends who lives in America isn't one of those four. So, really, yeah, yeah not at the moment, anyway. Well, I mean, he's um, he's gone off piste a little bit, hasn't he? No, no, he's uh, he's, he's very much on. He's very much on piste. He's, he he does. He says he wants a guest on the podcast, but um, I think we can only really convert guests from listeners. That's my sort of thinking right. like mike mike was good last week where did brother on mike uh he was a big fan he, he knew the he knew the world of the podcast didn't he very much exactly fitted. yeah exactly okay well you know i'm intrigued to hear about the housekeeping and the, the writing well it, it this it came from much closer to home um a young man in manchester um called liam wrote in right okay yeah i know liam so so Liam has told us that um, last week's episode of the podcast, the running time was exactly the same running time as that of the film that we were talking about. Wow. That's amazing. That's pure coincidence. One hour, 51 minutes. Yep. And that's Cobra Verde and it's episode five of the Midlife Film Catch-Up podcast. What do you I think mean, that means? I mean, we... Well... We planned that, didn't we? 
No. No, no, we didn't. Um, I think that's. Uh, I think it's a, a signal from the universe that we're headed in the right direction, but not the universe is not telling us to make each of our podcasts the same length as the films we're doing, but it's just saying, "Well done, guys. You, you're doing something correct." Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because I also think the universe is probably saying keep the episodes a bit shorter though hey yeah that it was also nudging us and being like but come on have, have a word with yourself yeah but I, you know I, I think we can um we can sanction a, a longer podcast when we've got a a third party a third a third party a, 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 yeah a, a third voice entering the fray it, yeah it, it makes things different can i ask how did liam how did liam write in um, just the, the way that anyone can write in. Yeah. Um, so we've got a email address, filmcatchup yeah. at gmail dot com. Did Did Liam e- email you? No. 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 I was, uh, was going to say because he texted that to me. Or people can uh, get in touch via the Instagram page at filmcatchup. Brilliant. Um, I love that. Um, yeah. So Liam or they can just. In- or people can just comment on the posts on uh, Instagram as well. Yeah, so, so do write in like Liam did. And, yeah. And also do, um, please, if you can, we've got we've had some really nice comments on the podcast and we really, really appreciate that. But if you can also review the podcast with favourable reviews and subscribe as well. <clears throat> yeah, please do do that and I've, I guess I've got a bit of housekeeping as well yeah go on last week's episode I noticed Sam that you slipped in um, unannounced you just out of nowhere you just said alright guys what's your two favourite bits in this film yeah is that, that well yeah is that a change to the format that I should be aware of um, well, so you know, it was I... more of a sort of it was an emergency um in emergency change of format because I felt like we were going on too long and I thought that would be a good way to um, truncate the podcast. Didn't work. But it didn't work because we still did all our regular features in addition to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I just thought that was quite, um, you know, I was quite, I was, I was quite shocked, but I wasn't, I wasn't surprised, but it was, it kind of just came out of nowhere. But I'm luckily, luckily, I'd made some notes, so I, so I had some things I could pick out. But it did, it did throw me a little bit. Yeah, well, I think that's what I want to do more and more. With podcasts is just introduce new format points. Right. All right. Well, I'll be ready. And the other thing is, I wanted to say is that from these sessions, I'm actually starting to feel better. So, right. do I need to keep attending? Uh, well. Um... Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I mean, I'm cured. No, I know I said that I was hoping it'd have benefit these podcasts, but I didn't mean it was literally therapy where where we were right. looking for a... The, the end point of this podcast is 19... No, 2023. Okay, right. No problem. So even though I'm feeling fine, well, do keep I, coming. I, do keep I might, there might be there might be flare ups or something. Yeah, yeah. I think what what you'll find is you, it'll fluctuate. Your your health will fluctuate during the podcasts. Yeah, my my health. Your health, yeah. 
that that's not a threat, is it? <laughs> no, it's just the nature of being. Yeah, 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 exactly. Your health is your wealth, as my yeah. stepmom says. Um, and I've got another thing to say is, I've, well, I've got a clarification to make for the listeners. Uh, okay, yeah, good. Um, so uh, I told a story a few weeks ago about my neighbour having his appendage out of his trousers and you talking did, yeah. to my talking to my mum. And that's that's the only neighbour I mentioned from that house. And then my brother was on the podcast last week and he said, Oh, Chris, I know you've previously mentioned our neighbour, Mr. Taylor. And he was referring to that same house and that story. So I just wanted to clarify for the neighbours that we in no way well, Mike, that it wasn't Mr. Taylor. I found out from my mum. So in no way was that Mr. Taylor I was talking about with the appendage out of his trousers. trousers. Right, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, Henry... ...from should, should, DIY. Should you use that information? Should you put... put no, you can, bleep, you, you, you can bleep it out. But he, he ran... DIY well, yeah, I mean, you keep saying you can't keep if you keep saying the business that you ran and people are gonna okay okay well I mean but it's okay because my mum thinks he was she told me he was wearing like a mechanics overalls and he was washing the car with his son and she thinks it might have just slipped out from underneath his overalls you know he might if he was like naked underneath or something and right. okay. it, it, and a bit of fuel for the fire. It was the day of my christening. Wow! So you yeah. you put two and two together there, um, you know, or just a co- just a strange coincidence. And um, and in the words of Margaret, my mum's friend, she said, "You know, dirty bugger! It's the middle of October." Of course he knows it's out of his pants because it was cold outside. Of course he knows it was out of his pants. My mum also added the detail that he was exceptionally well hung. So, you know, he might not mind me mentioning his name. And, and, um, exceptionally, did she use the word exceptionally? She didn't say exceptionally. She said he was really, she said he was only a small, skinny man, but he was really well hung. And she thinks it might have slipped out. Margaret said it's too cold for that. He would have known it was out. But, you know, it might have come out in that instant. His greeting was, hello, Leslie, waving Mm -hmm. to her really joyfully. So maybe he'd realized at that point it was out, but he thought, I've just got to follow through with the greeting, with the hello, Leslie. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've all been there where we've realized that um, our flies are undone, but... yeah to do up your flies is only to draw attention to the fact that they're undone. So this exactly. is the sort of next phase of that, isn't it? Yeah, he was, he was just kind of like rolling with it, doubling down almost. Yeah, but anyway, we'll 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 get back to our lives uh, at this time uh, towards the end of the podcast. But first of all, should we uh, talk about this week's film? Yeah. Thank you. 
So this week's film is Distant Voices Still Lives by Liverpool director Terence Davis. It was made in 1988 and it's a, um, I'm going to say art house film. Um, uh, wow. Set in the 1940s and the 1950s. It's split into two halves, Distant Voices being the first half, Still Lives being the second half. Um, and it's um, it's a snapshot of the lives of a Liverpool working class family uh, and all that entails. I mean, it's, it's difficult to kind of summarise the story of the film because it's more sort of themes and vignettes than it is an overarching narrative. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that was a great synopsis, Sam, considering that, that factor. Mm, good, good. So, yeah, we've, we've been to Scotland. We've been to America. We've yep. been to America again. Right. Uh, we've been to Re- uh, fin- uh, Finland. Yeah. Is it Reykjavik? No, uh, Hel- Helsinki. Helsinki. Um and we've also been to your friend of mine, uh, well, Brazil and Africa. Um, and now we're very much, very much close to home, our home, our home city, uh, Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting, isn't it? It is. It is interesting. Um, what are your quick thoughts on this one? Um, quick thoughts. There, there were things that I didn't care for about this film, but my overall feeling to it is that it was. Oh, I should also say that it's it was voted the third best British film ever in a Time Out poll in two thousand eleven. It's a very very well thought of film. This film, yeah. and it's one that is not really. I've I've seen one other Terence Davis film, but this isn't something that. Again, I, I wouldn't, have, I probably wouldn't have ever watched this film if it wasn't for this podcast. Um, what film? What film was that? Of Time in the City, a, a documentary mm. they did around the um, capital of culture year, which I, I, mm-hmm. I really, I really loved. That is it really good, um, yeah. and I really enjoyed this one. There's, there was loads about it that I, uh, I, I really, really loved, and it's one that's been emanating in my mind palace. Yeah, to mix, to mix, uh, mix metaphors. What does emanating mean? Yeah, because I think eman. <laughs> no, you're right to pull me up on that. Emanating means to to come from something, doesn't it? To yeah. So are you, are you saying? Are you saying you created this film? <laughs> well, that's not for me to say, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just kind of trying to keep keep a tab on the libel and slander. No, it's... Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say that this film, I I, I really loved it, and mm-hmm. I'd say this film was like a very poetic, uh, sensual experience. Six. Sensual in 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 the in the sensual in the way that you just it was very gripping and you're totally sucked into that world 
Mm. And you, you, um, you just, you just, you're just there for those. You're just there. It's, I, I say sensual and poetic because it's not like there's no linear story to it. It jumps around in time, which was yes. fascinate, fascinating. And there's no uh, traditional story mm-hmm. to speak of. It's just fragments and memories. Fragments, yeah. That that there is a logic because they're linked together by things that happen in it. But you're watching it. I say sensual in the way that I just really enjoyed watching it. Aroused. It was just like it. a. It's just like a. Pardon. You were aroused by it, or you found it erotic. Not aroused by it. Not aroused. Not aroused by it. It's just like a delicious lunch like you know like like the dialogue was beautiful the songs were beautiful the singing was beautiful the cinematography was beautiful the camera movements were beautiful the 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 way it took you back to a certain time it was just it was just like having a delicious meal if it wasn't just enjoy yeah if it was a meal what what would you say it was? And you said lunch as well, so. Mm. I'd say like it's the equivalent of going to um, Kebab Mahal in Edinburgh, which is a kebab house that is, okay. you know, a cut above, a cut above. You yeah. can sit in and the food is, tra- I want to say transfigurational. Do you? Is that what you want? Yeah, I, I don't know sure why. that's what you want to say? <laughs> Well, that, that's that's a short film by Terence Davies. You, you're transfixed by the, the flavors and the foods and the atmosphere, and this film was just—I was going to say baked in atmosphere, but that's a weird phrase. Drenched in atmosphere. This film just was atmosphere. It was wow. like it—it it was like watching an old cine film of your parents, um, and. Watching this film, you felt like you knew the characters to the same extent. You felt like those characters were your interchangeable with your, for me personally, interchangeable with your family. And you felt like you knew them to the same extent that you knew your own family. I I say that, I think anyone would feel that watching it because it was so well observed and recreated that you felt these were real people that you were watching. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that struck me straight away, knowing that we were going to cover it for this podcast, was the similarities between, you know, the the song and music is uh, central to this film, isn't it? And um, we obviously had that beautiful rendition from Your Uncle Frank, the recording of Your Uncle Frank in a a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it... it, um, I can see why it definitely. I mean, my my family didn't really burst into song very right. often. I say that. I say that there was, you know, my dad would often sing the song "Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves" by Cher. By Cher, yeah. Um, my mum would be. My mum's fond of a gospel song by Elvis. I mean, your mum is a huge Elvis fan. Yeah, massive. It, it, Massive Elf fan. 
Elvis fan. Uh, you know, you said your dad would burst into gypsies, tramps and thieves. Was it, it like a few things? Was it compulsive? <laughs> was it observational? Did he observe someone and then he sung gypsies, tramps and thieves? <laughs> was it when he was working on something? Was it in a specific room? Uh, no, it was it was it was probably what he described as compulsive. There was, he had a repertoire of about three songs. That was one of them. Um, Wait, would he do the verses? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doubting was, myself whether my, it was my, 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 my mother was. My mother was born on the back of a truck. She used to dance Tra- for the money. She used to dance. Show. My mother was born in a travelling show. The second verse. My mother was born on the back of a truck. She used to dance for the money she got. People, think, people would do whatever they could. No, uh, okay. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah, okay. Anyway, would he do the but, verse? Yeah, but and it was very much no. It's just short, short, short. St- I mean, look, much like Terence Terence Davis film making, it was short fragments of a song. You know, while he was doing the washing up or something. So he would do staccato outbursts of it. Staccato outbursts, yeah. Um, what were the other two songs? Uh, uh, there's a song that goes down in the old Texas town of El Paso, and to this day, that's all. That's all. I don't know what the song is. They're the only. They're the only words of the song I know because that's literally all he would sing. Down in the Texas town of El Paso. Uh, there's maybe another line after that. Um, but yeah. And would your mum sing Elvis songs, gospel ones? Uh, yeah, yeah. She probably had a bit more of a a, a broader repertoire of, of other uh, '60s songs as well in there. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So when you got together with extended family, there weren't you didn't have those sing-alongs that they had. In this, no, it was more the uh, staccato outbursts while doing the washing up. Really, <laughs> um, how about your family? Was it like, uh, was it all around the piano and yeah. singing in Jamaican accents like this song, like this film? What? Why do you think they were singing in Jamaican accents in this <laughs> film? There was a, there was a song that they sang. Um, okay. Oh, what was the song called? Uh, I think it's called "Brown Skin Girl." Um, and oh it's yeah, a Harry Belafonte song. Uh, yeah, it was um, Caribbean accent. I didn't notice that they were doing Caribbean accents, but we, but it did make um, me and Emma stand up to attention watching it. I, yeah. I don't mean because <laughs> <laughs> of the sensuality. No, I mean it. Just uh, our ears pricked up a little bit, and we went, "Oh, that's that's a funny one." Yeah, but I, but you know, I I, I did. I loved the song. Oh, it was every basically every five minutes would be breaking into songs, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would. I mean, that yeah, that was that was my family. Um, mm. That was my mum's father's generation, mm. and you know we would do family get-togethers twice a year, um, and and yeah, it would be round the piano, people doing songs, people t- t- taking a turn, doing a bit. Um, and then that kind of filtered down a little bit to my mum's generation. Mm. And yeah, a lot of people sing in my family and 
when we get together. And uh, so it brought, it felt, yeah, it really felt to me like being back at one of those old family gatherings, either at someone's house or in this film, in the pub, uh, which was great. Um, do, you, do, do you think in this film it was, so, song and music was like an escape because there was obviously a lot of dark darkness in this film as well, wasn't there? Um yeah. Peter Postlethwaite's character was a abusive. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. I'd say that. Yeah, I'd say that's a good point. The music was definitely, it was definitely their way of coping with things. It was a nice but, balance. This film wasn't it? It was, you know, the, it it could have been a relentlessly bleak film, but there was some moments of real light in there, which I which I was thankful for. Yeah, yeah, there was there was it was a film of two halves, wasn't it? Because there was the beginning, distant voices, where the father's still alive, and then there was still lives, the second part where the father's gone. And it's a bit more optimistic. Um is that is that right? You Well yeah, I mean there's, there's some quite sort of dark there was definitely still that darkness running through the second film of that yeah. second half with the abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you make of the the young man uh, crying at the uh, on his wedding day at the end? Um, if you don't mind me jumping ahead, ju- no, that's fine. It it just seemed. You mean the son? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it just seems really incredibly true to life. You know, I, I, I'm I'm someone who holds back emotions, but. But, you know, like, I remember being in the car, the funeral for my Auntie Dot, and just crying out of nowhere. And then, you know, if you, if you haven't cried for years, then it all just comes out in a huge one big go. And that just seems so, that just seems so true to me. Um Like, I did a, I did a, a stand-up gig once with some guy who turned up in like a three-piece suit. It was like a competition gig. And um, and he, he was he was telling me, he was like super confident and everything. And at the beginning, he was like, yeah, I've quit my job to do this. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, they wouldn't let me have the time off work, so I quit. And he was just convinced he was going to win it. So he did that. And then he did his stand-up set, kind of like it was okay, me kind of, bit mediocre and then he, he got off stage and he just broke down in the most incredible sobbing wow. <laughs> um, so yeah it, it, it you know and that seems to be my experience maybe unhealthy experience of when people cry it comes out in those ways it just seemed like yeah crying on his wedding day maybe he'd escaped his dad in some way or maybe it just brought back things or what did you make of it? Um, I suppose when you talk about that, like releasing emotions, it, it reminds me of um, when I ate mashed potato in Mumbai. Yeah. Um, shoot, talk to me. This was um, the end of three months of uh, traveling back from Australia. When I lived in Australia, I went to Bali, Vietnam and India. And the very mm. last stop in India was um, 
Mumbai and went to a place called Churchill's and Churchill's is famous for every dish. It's all curry, all Indian mm. food, but mm. they serve every dish with um, mashed potato. Right. Um, and that's I quite had, that's quite a USP, isn't it? Yeah, well, ge- genius. Um, and yeah. I hadn't eaten any sort of Western food for a long time. And as soon as I ate that mashed potato, uh, I, I welled up. Sensual experience. Yeah, yeah. What kind of crying did you do? Um, it was just sort of, it was more sort of, you know, the like the tears. It was just the tears rather than the, what's it, the, you know, the convulsing. Was it hot, spicy? What the mash, the mash was it? The well, wasn't it served with curry? No, it was. It was definitely like a an emotional reaction to to eating mashed potato and, and like a like a it sort of that's how my homesickness like manifested yeah. itself I think wow and was that the last time you cried um no that was that was like 12 years ago so are you does it come quite easily to you uh, to yeah, you yeah I, just, I was crying before we came on this call <laughs> <laughs> what about I just I just witnessed a, a leaf blowing in the wind and <laughs> it just unlocked, unlocked something in me because I'm an actor are you are you, you? to um, keep your emotions close to the surface are you an actor mm-hmm in life, what do you mean? Well, in my in the plays that I do. Oh yeah, of course. Um, am I allowed to mention the character? Well, we, we'll 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 come on to that, won't we? We'll come on. To yeah, that. yeah, we'll come on to that in late, later years. Um, um, mental yeah, illness. Yeah, I mean, mental illness. Shoot, I thought that was kind of broached in this. I, th- I think with the, with the father it wasn't just straightforward it was a bad bad man i think it was sort of pointing towards some sort of um yeah un, untreated un, Psy- know, psychotic psych- psychological like psychosis problem, yeah. or psychotic problem uh, i've heard it mentioned in a few things i've read uh, him described as a psychotic father mm-hmm. um yeah so he he he's he a deeply troubled man and and a deeply horrible man, and it was really quite bizarre. The only time he was nice was to that donkey, to his donkey. Was, well, you know, do you remember horse? the bit where was it a horse? Sorry, yeah, of course it was. Um, I, I don't pay attention to the animals in films. No, no, Just ignore them, which makes sure. you know quite difficult to watch Madagascar. Yeah, or Animal Farm. Sort of. Or Animal Farm, yeah. Kind of like by the end, people say, "Do you remember this bit?" And I say, "No." You just, you just saw us unless animals talking to each other. Yeah, unless there's a human, I haven't got a hook. But um, yeah, I mean, okay, let's say horse. Let's agree Wait, to disagree. It was a yeah. It was definitely a horse. All right. So they, so yeah, they they climbed up to this loft space and they spied on their father, the singing a song. Um, do you remember the song? 
anyway, no. it was quite a gentle, loving song, mm. quite a jolly, happy song, and he was brushing the horse. And the kids were just looking at him like, I, I felt it in that moment, like, they 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 just they found it really weird just looking at him singing and being happy because he was totally he was an absolute tyrant to them yeah do do you think the film was an was it like a was there a negative comment on the family unit there do you think because it seemed that the you know the there was a lot of happiness amongst the young people they'd go out dancing they'd sing the songs that was all good and then they'd all slowly slip into these unhappy relationships and seem to be going down the same paths as their parents before them. And I think I think Terence Davis, his biography, his dad was a similarly abusive man. Um, yeah, this film that was basically, ma- yeah. And I thought Sorry. that was maybe something... To- the, the the crying on the wedding day that it was pointing towards that as well perhaps I don't know if the film was a, a comment on on that but it it just the film just was that because that is based on his memories of growing up it's based on his family and that that was just the story that's just what it was mm-hmm you know can I quickly tell you what I didn't like about the film yeah um have you seen that Reeves and Mortimer sketch when Peter Kay's on um MasterChef um I, I I have a big memory problem I've probably seen it but I can't recall always recall things he's basically on MasterChef and then he just starts reeling off things that he remembers he's, you know it's, like, it's a common gar- garlic, garlic it's based on the garlic bread routine well, no, it's just it's on his whole, you know. I remember observational it. Observational comedians I know it. I know. who just talk about the olden days. I, I know the sketch. I know it. I know it. I think I, I felt like there's a lot of bits in this film where it's just like, oh yeah, we used to say this, or we used to drink these funny drinks, and we used to call each other this, and we used to eat this sort of margarine. I, I, a little bit, but that sort of thing. a little bit, but it wasn't. It wasn't done in that way. It wasn't done in the way that the, there's characters talking, saying, do you remember this? Do you remember that? It was actually presented at that time, at that moment. It wasn't... You're saying you felt it was nostalgic? Yeah. Over, overly, uh, overly sentimental or something? Yeah, to, to, to details that weren't really relevant and it was just... I could have... I can just imagine um, old people saying, oh yeah, do you remember that? Do you remember us drinking black and tan? And do you remember we used to... Uh, I'm trying to think of other needless details that were there. There was just a few that was, seemed to be shoehorned in just so people could have a little trip down memory lane. I mean... Which annoys me a little bit. It annoys you, but I just don't think it's that fair. That fair, because... That that's what the film is. The film is memory of a time, and the whole thing is about that. But I get what you're saying. Like, I watched it with my mum and Emma, and my my mum walked out when 
he started beating his daughter with a broom because it was a bit it was a bit too violent um but before which was very early on but before that she was yeah. before that she was enjoying it and she was saying things like oh it was like that or it you know so did, i know what you mean so did you not did your mum not come back in after the after that incident she went upstairs and pottered about and then came down at about 10 minutes before the end and we said to her you would have really enjoyed that um and she said i know i would have done but she didn't like the dad being violent um yeah she yeah um but i th- that's what the film was i i, I don't yeah, I don't think it I don't think sorry. it was overly sentimental because it was the it was so true the the harshness and the horrible things that happened in it that really outweighed or balanced any sentimentality yeah I I agree I think on 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 balance but I just think there was a few needless details that were thrown in there just for that kind of nostalgia aspects and I think it should have concentrated more on the you know the 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 themes and the story of the film rather than I, I, I mean have you got even have you got one example even one I... well the only example I can think of it is one that I quite enjoyed where he um it was at the bar and he reeled off a load of drinks. I was just going to uh, mention that. Drinks order. I mean, I was just going to mention it because that, that was just brilliant. He, he said he wanted Mackey's black and tan, a pale ale with lime, rum and pep. He, re- he reeled off. He reeled yeah. off literally about 12 drinks with all really obscure names. And then... Me and Emma were just like, oh, I remember ordering big rounds like that, you know, when we were 18, well, 18 yeah. like, what, you know, all right, you know, I know that's, I know that's we're, we're part of the problem, aren't we? You are. <laughs> <laughs> we're probably part of the problem, aren't we? If we're, if we're, we're coming to an age now where we're starting to do that, where that's, no, you know, no, I think, I, I think I it's, just... what I'm saying is, I think it's quite lazy filmmaking for that to be a, a pleasure of, of, a, of a film just pointing out things that were the case in the olden days. I mean, so I don't, I say, don't, yeah, yeah, that was, I don't, what, that is what it was like. I don't agree because the film is built up of layer upon layer of memory. And if you take away any of those small bits, any of those smaller layers, then the whole thing doesn't add up to the sum of its parts. And what makes it so authentic is all those observed details so i think it I think, yeah I, I hear what you're saying so because it's just like you know i think that's that's makes up a lot of a lot of the film but yeah i, I mean that, that listen I, I don't i don't want to dwell on it i don't want to dwell okay. on it i just i've got a little little time for over sentimental nostalgia yeah I thought that was your bread and butter, if I'm honest. I thought you no, loved that. I, I, yeah, I do. I, I do like it. Yeah, I, it's funny to hear those words coming from your mouth because that I, I feel like, yeah, you love that sort of stuff normally. 
Yeah, but I think it needs to serve a purpose. Okay. And you've almost convinced me that in this case it maybe did serve a purpose. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what I did really like about this film. Yeah. It's depiction of pubs, and it really made me think. It's been a long time since I've been to one of those traditional Liverpool boozers. Definitely. Um, and I really do love those places. Definitely. It was like, um, yeah, like I was saying, it used to be great when you could order big rounds like that and A, have the money to do it, or B, it was cheaper to do it. And that's definitely a part of my life that has fallen by the wayside since I stopped doing full-time job. Um, being able to mm. order, the, this is totally unrelated, but being able to order the big, big rounds of drinks, which I used to love <laughs> doing, you know, it's part of the, the British way of life. Well, part of any culture, I guess, that have pubs and bars. But just sitting around those, Sitting around those tables and you know the the wood finish in, in yeah. the, the interiors of the bars. It looked like uh, the, just like you said, the atmosphere of the pubs is really is really well. Depicted it was really in, well done in this film. And we kept saying, "Is that the Belvedere pub? Have they filmed that in the Belvedere?" Did you think that at one point? I I went from um, the Roscoe Peter Cavanaugh's yeah. to the crack to the to the Belvedere. And I think I think I settled on I think from the exterior it looked like it was maybe the Belvedere. I mean, we 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 were. It was shown three or four times in the film. The first two times we were like, "That's a Belvedere," but then when you look at where the door was in perspective to the room they were filming from, it didn't quite make sense. Like, mm. um, that looks more like the crack. Yeah. So and then I read that he filmed, you know, quite a bit of it in London. Well, the house was filmed in London, so I wonder if that pub was filmed in London. But um, yeah, it it was just great the way they were all in pubs smoking and singing songs and shouting things to each other occasionally. Um, And I thought it was great. Yeah. A little bit of trivia for you. Go on. They mention um, Jubilee Drive. I think it's... um... Yeah. Not Jingles. Who's her other friend? Uh, Mickey. She says she lives on. She only lives on Jubilee Drive. Yeah. Uh, I lived on Jubilee Drive. Did you? In uh, two thousand and six. No, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Two thousand eight. That's funny. Mm, two thousand six. Two thousand seven. Is it Kensington? Doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 I, it was um, a flat that was owned by. Um the wife of a dentist, uh, sorry, the husband of a dentist uh, called John John Pambanki. John Pambanki. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you... When he always used to start, he'd leave a message on your phone, it all goes, yes, um, I'm ringing about the... And that's, that's, how <laughs> that's how he'd speak. That is, that's like how I imagined someone called Pambanki would speak. Yeah, oh. and we had to pretend that it was it was still a, an operational dentist when people came around. Really, that's quite a ruse. I like, I like that. That's like a that's like um, yeah. the setup to a sitcom. Yeah, Pam Banky was like claiming some sort of tax government funding for the for the for the dentistry okay. dentist uh, practice. Cheeky, and he sounded um, a bit like Chris Eubank when you did it. 
Yeah, I suppose he did a little bit, but he was. I think he was Serbian. Right. Okay. I think he was Serbian. Right. Yeah. Okay. And he, he came. He was, we were watching a film once. He was like, uh, uh, "What? What are you watching?" And we tell him what he watches. Oh yes, I like the other one with the uh, actor. <laughs> no idea what he's talking about. And that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, you lived on Jubilee. That was Jubilee. You Drive. lived on Jubilee Drive, where the character Mickey lived. Mickey, mm-hmm. the character Mickey, was played by Debbie Jones in this film, right? And I have I know Debbie, which is another oh. coincidence. Um, oh so God. when I moved back to Liverpool after quite, a, I, I moved back to Liverpool as an adult. I think about ten or eleven years ago, and um, that actress Debbie Jones was friends with. She is friends with my stepmom. She lives in Crosby, and and uh, she she was really helpful to me. And um, I'd said to my dad and stepmom that I wanted to do writing, um, uh, writing plays and stuff, and getting in. Wanted to get into plays, films, performing, whatever. Just wanted to get back to doing creative things and uh I had a couple of phone calls with Debbie and she was she offered to get me a job she started working for a cable TV channel called like Cruise TV where they sell cruises like a shopping channel mm-hmm. she offered she offered to get me a job as like a camera assistant on on that Cruise TV or like a production assistant uh, oh, wow. So she was really nice. Um, I I didn't do it in the end. I was happy. It kind of wasn't quite my thing. Um, and I was happy working at the Blue Coat and Hurricane Films and doing various other bits. Um, but she was really nice. And um, and then fast forward to two or three years ago, me and Emma were on our second date on the beach and then we saw Debbie again on the beach and she said that me and Emma were doe-eyed she described us both as doe-eyed classic. <laughs> yeah classic Cla- Mickey. classic Mickey she's very similar to Mickey in real life and then also when I started performing as my comedy alter ego top Joe she was performing in pantomime and I I was working for a, another cable TV channel and I interviewed her as in character. I was in character. I interviewed her about her pantomime role. And I'm not sure if she rec- even recognized me uh, when I was wearing the high-vis jacket when I was in character, which is something. Wow. Some... So, is, is, so is she a bit of a local celebrity still then, Debbie Jones? She was. like She presented stuff on Radio Merseyside for quite a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was one of the best characters in the film, I thought, Mickey. Yeah, she was the comedy element to it, wasn't wasn't she? And she was very funny. What do you think to Sinbad? Sinbad was, I thought, I thought he was good in this. I, I thought he was good, you know. Anyway, yeah, he sort of played it down, didn't he? He played it down, and I felt like in I felt like that wasn't the happiest relationship that he was having with the daughter, and. I felt like any anim- a lot of the animosity might have been coming from the daughter, maybe. 
being a bit abusive to him or was he abusive to her? It was pretty unclear that. Yeah, they just seemed to be getting on with things, those two, didn't they? He was yeah. he would be doing the pools. I, th- I thought they were seemed all right, those two, compared to the compared to something. Yeah, I, I'm just talking about the bit where he was eating his food really loudly, and she laid into him. Uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, maybe it was meant to be funny, but it was also a bit, bit harsh as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay, well, should we, um, what do you want to do now? Well, I mean, are you going to lay lay upon, I mean, just mention one more thing. Are you going to lay upon us the two favourite things? Or, or no? No. Um, well, I'll just pick one favourite thing, is that um, there was a, of all the songs that people sung in this film, I really enjoyed the one about pickled onions and tomato ketchup and pickled yeah. Yeah, me too. I really like that. So, yeah, oh, yeah. If, someone had just sung a, a kind of good song, slightly heartfelt, and then it camera pans to mm. the the little granny sat next to her. It yeah. just breaks into this pretty rubbish song about condiments. It's it, <laughs> not the best voice, <laughs> and that was really funny. Yeah, I really liked um, the bit with Uncle Uncle Ted, yes. who came and said. I switched off the light. I don't know if I knew right for wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that what he said? And then, uh, and then he gets scolded by the auntie, doesn't he, when he's walking down the stairs? <laughs> yeah, the soft. The soft. It, it, you know, it's uh, undiagnosed health. health yeah, another, again, isn't it? But it's dealt dealt with in a quite a, a light heart. Yeah, way. basically another psychotic character wandering around, scaring people. That was funny because you didn't even know he lived in that house, and neither did the son-in-law. And this guy, it would be like you sitting in your in your front room, and then a a stranger just walking in with a candle and scaring the life out of you that you didn't even know lived there. Yeah, it was good. (laughs) And also, a shout out to Perfelli in this. They went. Sorry. A shout out to Perfelli. Uh, They they went to the the Welsh Welsh village. The Welsh place. They went to Wales to work in the holiday industry, um, a couple of the daughters, and earn some money during the summer. And, you know, that was a. I, we went to Pafeli a couple of times on holiday. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Okay. I've ne- never, uh, never heard of it. Never been. I'm sure it exists. It's a nice place. Um. There's also the scene in the futurist that, um, yeah. in the transition to that amazing shot of the the, the two fellas um, falling through the glass ceiling. Yeah, I mean, so you had the futurist cinema, which was knocked down. When was that? Four years ago or something? Yeah, something. Uh, like and that, yeah. yeah, and then that incredible shot. Uh, how would you describe it? Ten grand it costs. Yeah, I read that. Ten grand. But so basically it's a you don't know what you're looking at. It's like a white window with whitewash on it, and then suddenly you think you're looking at it face on, and then you just see two people mm. falling in slow motion coming from where the camera is and for you realise you're looking down upon this glass instead of looking at it and then these two 
people, main characters in the film, fall through this glass in slow motion. They've had an accident. Accident. They've fallen from the scaffold. And it and it like shatters in slow motion, yeah. so it, it kind of turns into like a mosaic. Yeah, it was incredible. And it cost yeah. ten grand. That was well described. Pardon. That was well described. I I felt like I was there. Thank again. you. And it with that segment was filmed by a director on one of the James Bond films because it it was a very yeah. difficult stunt to do. So they just got him in mm. for the day and it, the whole thing cost 10 grand, which was, it was a really low budget film, but, and that was obviously a standout. I, I, I thought the cinematography, I won't go into that yet, but I thought it was brilliant. It was, yeah. Well, let's, let, let's go into that. Should now. we do ratings? Well, let's, so what what do we want to cover? Cinematography first. Yeah, what would you uh, give that? Um, well, again, I'd um, it was it was a lot of like beautifully framed still shots, and it brought to mind. Well, it brought to mind three things. Mm. Um, a film that we watched a couple of weeks ago, Shadows in Paradise. Yeah. I thought this this film kind of. Uh, Bear daughter resemblance to that. Where's Anderson? Okay. In terms of like the symmetry, geometry, honestly, yeah. of, of of the shots. Symmetry. Geometry, and Roy Anderson. Oh yeah. Different, different Andersons. A pigeon sat on a branch, um, reflecting on existence. Yeah, uh, Swedish director. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, similar in, in terms of its the structure of the film, the, the sort of the vignettes, the set pieces. Okay, I'm with you. Like people were stood there almost in a painting, like almost in tableau mm. for a second or two before the dialogue tableau tableau before the dialogue began. So they were like, yeah, so yes. I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I'd like to know when. Roy Anderson's career began. Right. Pardon? Whether that, whether, well, do you think that he did, he was influenced by this film? Maybe. You know, that, that that's the only, his films are the only films that I can say bears any resemblance to this, the way that this film is, was made. I'd say, I, I agree with you on how the shots were framed statically and how people were placed there before they started talking. But also this film contained loads of movement Loads of camera mo- camera movement. Um, with loads some some, but when it did, you really noticed it. It was really beautifully done. Like mm. lots of dolly shots. Mm. Yeah, like yeah. the very beginning where the the camera goes into the house and then turns around. It was just so precise and smooth and beautiful. It was very dreamlike. Would you describe it as a masterclass? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Totally, totally a masterclass, yeah. Considering it was done on a small budget, it's mm. amazing the way how this film looks and moves. It's it's incredible. Inspiring for filmmakers like us. Definitely. Definitely, yeah. So I'd, so um, 9.5, I'd give that. Okay, yeah. and we've talked about the budget. Ten ten thousand. Yeah, so let's talk about production value for money. 
production value for money. I'd give it. I'd I'd give it considering got it free on BFI player, combined with the fact that they did so much for such a little budget. I'm going to give it four point five out of five. Out of five, that one, of course. Um, I had to pay five pounds ninety nine because my I, did, I I didn't really understand what I was signing right. up for. Okay, what would you give that then? Um, seven. Yeah, good. Set set eight eight eight. Well, I don't believe in it. Um, don't believe in it. Um, a story. And what's the? Oh. I mean, okay, it's Tricky. not that kind of film, is it? You you described it as art house. I wouldn't describe it as art house because it it is a film that grips grips you in a way that art house films don't. Personally, I don't really know what art house means. I don't, I, I don't know if it has any meaning. I just say the bit adjective. more abstract. Art house is just a bit more abstract. You know, okay, done okay. this uh, uh, quite, you know, and well, it's, it's a subjective label, isn't it? What's art house and what isn't? I just wouldn't say this is. It's got a lot of dialogue in it, it's got a logic in it, even though it's dreamlike and based on memory. Um, but in terms of story, I'd maybe give it a it's not a story led film, but I'd give it eight. Mm-hmm. What would you give it? Two. Did, did we mention that it was filmed? The second half was filmed two years after the first half. No, you didn't. That. Um. So an early uh, forebearer of the style of um, who was that director? Was that director that did After Sunrise? Richard Linklater. Yeah, Link Linklater. Yeah. yeah. So like a mini version of that. Yeah. Isn't it? And yeah, definitely. And that's kind of like what I'm doing with my short film because I just haven't haven't finished it, it. Production yeah, pressures. Just not having the time to get it finished. Are you, are you worried that Craig's gonna age age in the He's not gonna age, but he's been going to the gym loads the last six months and he's lost oh, really? a lot of weight. Bulking which up. I'm really happy for him about um, but uh, and it kind of, that kind of chimes with his character arc in the short film. He 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 becomes better. Um, and that's kind of a okay, manifestation yeah. of that. But um, yeah, it was filmed two years apart. And um, a- another thing to say is that John Luke Goddard's this, have you read this bit? John Goddard he was, was not usually generally, very generally, um, effusive. Yeah, generally dismissive of um, British cinema. And he singled out Distant mm. Voices, Still Lives, as an exception, calling it magnificent. you gotta be you got to be happy with that if you're a Davis, haven't you? Definitely. Uh, Goddard's approval. Definitely. JLG. JLG. Yeah. So we've done ratings. Mm. I don't think we need to do trivia. 
No. I don't think we need to do two favourite things because we've kind of done that. Um, yeah. And I think it's time for the two most important questions. Do you remember what they are? Yeah, so um, what would you do if you were the protagonist in this film? Me. And what was your life like in 1988? If I, in this in this film, I mean, I, yeah. I'd struggle to pick out a, a a protagonist. Who's the who? Who would you say is the protagonist in this I'd film? I'd say there's three: the 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 son and the two sisters. Mm-hmm. Okay, then t- take your pick. I'll go for the the tall sister with the good voice. Because I, f- okay. I feel so. You're the tall sister. You've got the good yeah. voice. Um, you're in a in, in Liverpool in the the youngest, no, the oldest of a working class family in in North mm-hmm. Liverpool. Would you call Kensington North Don't Liverpool? Know. I'm not not sure. South really. Liverpool. Um, it's. I wouldn't say no. Maybe well, I don't know. But what post, would I do? Post war. Yeah. Um, well, I'd probably. Um, I mean, I've never been a, a tourist in this city, so I've never done Strawberry Fields. I've never been there. No. Really. I go to Strawberry Fields. I'd. Um, Okay. I'd probably go down to Edge Hill and go to the, the Williamson Tunnels if they were open at that point. Have a look around. Do you, do you think this would sort of alter the tra- trajectory of the the narrative of the film? In what way? Why? Well, this section of the podcast is meant to be about sort of exploring the 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 world of the film and what goes on right. in the film and applying our characteristics to the our personalities to the characters in the film my You're my grandpa sort of... grew up I'd go to my grandpa's house because he he was born the house he was born in in Edge Hill uh, was either not, I think it was bombs. I was going to say knocked down, but it, I think it was the Blitz. It was gone. So the street where he grew up was was knocked down. Um, uh, and it, funnily enough, it's where Jack's supermarket was built, which is, my grandfather was called Jack. Um, so I'd visit if I was. Back there in the forties, I'd make sure to go and visit his house because I've never seen it and see my grandpa as a young man. Um, yeah, I'd go yeah, to okay. if the cavern was still open, the original. Go down there. Well, this is the yeah. This is um, so. This is yeah. the whole the whole one of the themes of the film is that we're on the, the cusp of rock and roll and the sort of the birth of the teenager yeah. and you know the american influence and so i'm, I'm guessing that the the cavern is yeah alive and kicking. i'd go down to festival point. gardens maybe mm, that's more the eight, 80s i think festival check out gardens. the chinese pagoda 
the yellow submarine. Yes, that there was a there was a slide there, huge dragon. You slid out the mouth of the dragon. I go on that. I go down to Ple yeah, Pleasure this... Island. Go down to the. I think you're getting your. Um, I think you're getting your timelines a bit mixed. Go down up. to um, Hibiki, Japanese restaurant on Renshaw Street. Last year, that opened last year. But yeah, no, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, I think if I was um, the same character, and I, I had a a love of uh, show business um, and a talent. I'd if you had a uh, love of talent, or if you had talent. <laughs> Sorry, if I had a love of show business and talent. If you had, so I possessed possessed talent. If you, if, possessed. You, if I love, if I had a love of show business, and I possessed the talent. Time. If I had a love of show business and I possessed the talent, I would embark upon a career in uh, musical theatre. Well, what we, what kind of uh, is. And and try and sort of maybe break out of Liverpool and spread my wings a little bit. Probably returning to Liverpool in years to come, but you know, spend some time on Broadway. Mm. I went to I visited Broadway. I was lucky enough to visit Broadway myself a couple of weeks yeah. ago. I know in New York, Broadway, unique New York, yeah. New York. Um, and big, big. Theaters. What would be your top three musicals that you would hope to star in? During your tenure, career. Um, well, you know, I, I'm not, these aren't going to exactly fit in with um, the time frames here. But Hamilton, right? Lion King. <laughs> Is it a musical? Okay. Yep. And. Um, what was the one? What was the one that was a? It was like a prequel to Phantom of the Opera. Love will go on, or something. I don't know. Love. I don't know. See, so you've left out, love. buddy. <clears throat> yeah, you've... I won't go near the jukebox ones. Right, you've left out Blood Brothers. You wouldn't come back home to do Blood Brothers. I would. I would be careful about being typecast as like a. You know, Liverpoolian mm. actor, Liverpoolian character actor. Yeah. Okay. I'd be more. I'd be. I'd be sort of the female musical theatre version of Stephen Graham. Say that. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> what? What do you want? What do you want I'd to be? be? The, the female musical theatre version <laughs> of. <laughs> Stephen Graham. <laughs> Stephen Great. Graham. Okay. All right. Well, good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. Let's let's move on. Let's move on to uh, nineteen eighty-eight. Okay. Um, 
So I'm yeah. Go ahead. Four. Yeah. I hit the. I hit the age of four in nineteen eighty eight. How old? How old would you have been? Uh, six. Six. So I've been thinking about this, and did you have like one dream or like a bad nightmare that sort of cast a shadow over your whole um, cha- like early childhood? A recurring one. Either a recurring one or just in my case it was a one-off. In in my friend in my the case of my friend Jimmy Cundall, he had a recurring one about a face that came out of a wall. I I, I did have a recurring one, but I won't go into it. This this is your story. Obviously, well, I, I just, I just had this one dream that I remember. Um, so, because I had this dream nightmare, I had to get read to me to put me to sleep and take my mind off mm. this, this because I was scared of having this dream wow. again. And it took place in the village mm-hmm. hall. So I talked a bit about the village hall last last week, um, and it featured. Do you remember the um, double act Little and Large? Yeah, I do. I was I was listening to um, a, um, Sid Little, one of his albums earlier this week. Sid Singing, Little. He was doing a cover of Faith by Eddie Large. Eddie Large. He was doing a cover of Faith by George Michael. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so in, in my dream, they were trying to, there was a big sort of like arcade machine with a big, battery compartment and little and large were trying to put me behind a battery and like squash me into this battery compartment behind a behind a battery in a on a in a arcade machine in the village hall you what what do you what do you think of that you had a recurring dream no it's just it's just one dream and it, it it had such an effect on me that I was like afraid to go to sleep. You had a dream that little and large were trying to put you inside a battery compartment on a what? On a what? Like an, uh, from what I remember, it was like an arcade machine. In your village hall. In the village hall, yeah. A video games arcade machine or something else. Well, the, I, I don't think even then I could really remember the details of the machine. It was more the... It was more little and large. I remember they were wearing like black bomber jackets. Um, and it was one of those like fat, chunky batteries. What was... But you aren't you the battery? Aren't they trying to get you in the battery compartment? No, I, no, there was... They were sort of going to put me behind the battery. So what was the terrifying thing about this? Was it that they were trying... Well, what, what is, I know, I know, I know, but is it that they're trying to squash you into something small? Is it that they they want to hide you away forever? Is it that they're scary people in the dream? What? What? I think it was electricity. Right. I think I think the bomber jackets and electricity were the, the were the sort of details that had the effect. You didn't on want me. to get electrocuted. Nope. And who was who was the meaner one of the two, Sid Little or Eddie Large? Well, I th- from what I remember, um, which one was the tall one? Which one was the short, short stocky, stocky one? is Eddie Large? 
clues it clues in the so name. he was like the he was yeah well the large you know the tall one's large in a different yeah ways, he's, isn't he? he's thin tall yeah um he was sort of the thin one was like the brains behind no he was like the large was like um the puppet master mm. and little was sort of the the the, the muscle in, in a way he was like he was trying to get me behind the behind the battery trying to strong arm you mm. I mean Eddie Large was typically the scary manic one on telly but the one I'd mm. least like to be in a room with one to one Sid Little and who was singing Faith Sid Little Right. What was it? What bomber jackets? Any logos? I think it was those bomber jackets with the orange line. Yeah, I was going to. And for this to not make you want to go back to sleep the next night, mm-hmm. how long did that last? I think, it, well, I can still remember it now. And I think I think it was, it loomed quite large across many years of my childhood. What? So, what do you make, what did you make of, because obviously they'd come up on TV every now and again, what did you make of them as comedians, their material and stuff? Or or what was? Well, I think, I think before that, before that dream, I enjoyed their output. Um, and then I don't think I could really. I think I was just uneasy about the presence after that. Mm. So you couldn't, what couldn't, couldn't what? And I think did when did Eddie Large die? I'm not saying I was happy when he died, um, but it was probably a relief. I mean, Eddie Large only died three years ago. Yeah. Really? Oh, did did Little die? I think one of them died in the nineties. I'm sure they did. So you didn't rest easy until, I mean, Sid Little is still alive. Is that bad? So it was. I'm large, sorry yeah. to break it to you. Sid Little is still alive, Sam. Yeah. That's troubling. You gonna be okay? No, I think I'll be fine. No, you you tell me about your um. You going out tonight? Your like. You going out tonight? Uh, I'm going to Ormskirk tonight. Okay, just well, you know, you got you'll have you'll have people with you. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. What about you in 1988? Um, I started at school. I would have already started at school the year the year before St Mary's and um uh we had it was the headmaster was a priest called brother Kelly and he was known for being a bit um a bit laissez faire with um rules on corporal punishment um ouch I I was fine 
but um, it you know obviously it was illegal then to hit anyone, mm. but he was he he kind yeah. of like he was really old school, and he used to do this thing. What we're talking rulers? Or... No, well, I don't. Well, he probably did do that when it, he was allowed, but actually he probably did that when I was there. But um, with he used to do this thing where he'd he'd just turn up to your lessons unannounced and do these random maths maths quizzes where I think he'd make us stand up and he would just be like, you know, five times 23 or five times 17 or maybe not that as difficult as that. It was just like rote learning, just the most basic Neanderthal way of learning things. And he'd just shout, mm. he'd just shout, um, maths questions at you and had to respond really quickly and he, and you'd be terrified and the most i got was a a very light slap to the back of my head um but i remember it but it wasn't a hard slap obviously but you know and was was he a, was he a monk no he was a catholic priest oh uh, oh sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so that Sorry, was the other one and the other memory of that school was um, I brought in a little black car to school one day a little corgi car or something um, and I, was, I used to sit next to a girl called Sharon Cartwright and um, my my stepsisters Natalie and Nadine were going through a phase of calling everything cute this is cute. That is cute. Oh, that's so cute. Isn't that cute? Oh, you're so cute. Chris, they, they still call me Christopher for some reason. Oh, that's so cute. Christopher, you're so cute. Oh, that's cute. Isn't that ornament cute? Isn't that fountain cute? Isn't that airplane cute? Just things that you wouldn't necessarily call cute. Cutesters. Are you familiar with no. cutesters? Like a subgenre of hipsters. Yeah. Well, that Sub-genre. they were doing that even as children. And, I would, I'd, I'd say stuff to them like, "That doesn't make sense. That's, that's not cute. You wouldn't describe that as cute." Anyway, one day I brought this black car into school, and I said to Sharon Cartwright that it was cute, and straight away she went, "That's not cute." <laughs> so there you go. Like, that was my. That, so why did you? Why did you say that? Because they, that they, 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 they were a work, little right? bit older than me, Natalie and Nadine. So I just thought after a while, I just started thinking. Are things cute? Can you describe something? As... Oh, so that you'd you'd come round to that. I I, I don't know if I'd consciously come round to it, but just thought maybe you can call something cute if you want to call it cute. I, I think I just didn't even think about it. I'd shown Sharon the car, and I just went, "Yeah, it's cute." I probably should have said it's it's cool, mm. but Sharon didn't yeah. take any rubbish from anyone. She called a spade a spade, and straight away she called me up on it that's not cute like you idiot and I remember that so did you did you not use never, that never used it again that word. never used it again never used it again that's why I that's why I, I ignore well, no. animals people uh, ask me what I think yeah. of them okay and I can't say that word but you you deep down you know that they are cute Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, we living in uh, around that stage of my life, living in that house in Moorside Close. We constantly listened to Atlantic Two Five Two on the radio. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I remember it well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, all that filtered in, all that music. I think there was a DJ called Robin Banks. Sandy Beaches. Was there? I think. Yeah, I think it was all that sort of stuff, wasn't it? In the early nineties, late eighties. Yeah. Shame, really. I mean, I've, I need to Google it now, Robin Banks, because he might just be someone more recent. Yeah, no, he was on Atlantic 252. Um, yeah, there was that. And we had a little dog in that house, a little Yorkshire Terrier with no teeth called Lizzie. Hmm. And hmm. that is, those are my memories. Me and my brother had a phase where we started doing practical jokes and I would put soap on his toothbrush or salt. Ooh. Yeah. Lasted about a week. And with his pneumonia, yeah. with his health problems as well. Yeah, lasted about a week. He was short-lived. We're not practical jokers. Yeah, that's good. Um, and th- that is it. That is it for this week. That's great, that's great. All right, well, do you want me to um, look, look on to um, 1989? Uh, yeah. Um, so full disclosure, I wanted to choose a film that I think is nigh on impossible to stream. Okay. So it's, uh, out of bounds, I'm afraid. Are you going to, uh, that's a film called Sweetie by uh, a director, uh, Jane Campion, who did the, um, uh, Cumberbatch was in a, a, what was that Cumberbatch film? The Power of the Dog. The Power of the Dog, and she, yeah, and yeah, she did I, the uh, the piano. Really yeah, so she she this is one of her early films, comedy films. Um, is that the one that you said to me that you found the perfect film and you're excited about it? Yeah, yeah. This is, this is well. Can this we can but, we we could make an arrangement that if I manage to find that film for us, we could still go back to that if you want. No, let's let's not okay. let's not. But thank you. Uh, well, actually, let's let's see how this conversation okay. goes. Um, so I've, I've narrowed it down to a short list of okay. three, and I, I'm I'm quite. I, I, I suspect that you've probably seen one or more of these. Right. So the first one is Mystery Train by Jim Jarmunch. Jim Jarmunch. I haven't seen it. Good. The second one is Drugstore Cowboy by Gus Van Sant. I haven't seen it. Matt Dillon. Yeah. Uh, the third one is Tetsuo the Iron Man. I've seen it. You know you haven't. I have. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I was talking about the other, the other two. I thought you'd have seen the other two. So you've seen... A metal fetishist driven mad by the maggots wriggling in the wound he's made to embed metal into his yep. flesh runs out into the night and is accidentally run down by a Japanese businessman and his girlfriend. Absolutely scared the, the bejesus out of me. I, 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 it was on yeah. Channel 4 late at night and I put it on and, and, I, and I, 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 I switched. Okay, I haven't seen it because I switched it off after about half an hour because, you know... Because it's too much. Yeah, it was too much for my little 
grain. I didn't watch it at the year on the year it was released. It was probably like, but you were young. Yeah, I think I was still in Liverpool. I might have been twelve or something, and it was on Channel Four, and I put it on. It was like, oh, because I I was going through a sort of manga phase, Japanese phase, getting uh-huh. into the, the cartoons and stuff, and then. Uh, yes, and I had to switch it off. I was a bit disturbed by it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's enough to rule it out. Um, drugstore Cowboy, Gus Van Sant, who I think I've only seen his film Elephants, um, and it's one of those titles that seems to crop up a lot. Yeah. People seem to reference it a lot. Um, set in 1971, um, Matt Dillon is a charismatic leader of a peculiar quartet formed by his wife Diane and another couple that rob drugstores uh, and it, it, things go awry. Uh, mystery, so Mystery Train, um, there's like a really, there's a, there's this image from it, from the like the cover of the DVD or the, the poster or whatever of this couple and the, and the man's got like smudged lipstick yeah. and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth yeah. and I think this was on the wall at Labatta oh really it's, it's yeah the club in Liverpool Labatta and it's like um, I've always it always used to like intrigue me um, and I, I don't know when I found out where when it where it was from and I thought oh, I need to watch that film hmm. um, so I made up that you haven't seen that film what, what would you what would you choose out of those two uh probably probably mystery train great if it's meant in... to be one of his good ones then i would have chose that if it's meant to be one of his bad ones you know hi... it, no it's, it's meant to it's up okay. there down by law and this one i think are his okay. top two um in memphis tennessee over the course of a single night the arcade hotel run by an eccentric night clerk and clueless bellboy is visited by a young Japanese couple traveling in search of the roots of rock. Mm. So this, you know, this, this sounds yeah. good, doesn't it? An Italian woman in mourning who stumbles up on a fleeting charlatan girl. So it's got the charlatans yeah. in there. Good band. Tim's right. And a comical trio of accidental thieves looking for a place to hide. 106 minutes, 1989. Uh, you'll get it on Amazon, Apple, or Criterion. Yeah, Mystery Train, brilliant, and the cinematographer Robbie Muller. I think he's the one from Repo Repo Man. Oh, is it? He is, yeah, yeah, and uh, an American friend. Great, the American and, friend, and um, and you know, my friend Aki Kurismaki was a big influence on Jarmunch. So this yes, might have elements yeah. of that. Yeah, I don't know whether you you might need to start pronouncing his name correctly. Kurishmaki. Uh no Jim Jim Jarmush. Jim Jarmush. There's no there's no N. That's what I was, that's what I've been saying. Name. Yeah. I've yeah, I've noticed. Um no but let's uh I think we can draw this one to a close. So we've picked Mystery Train. Mystery Train. Um, Right, and... But if I manage to track down Sweetie, 
by Jane Campion. Give it a go. Give it a go. Um, but by all intents and purposes, it's mystery train. Okay. Lovely stuff. And is there a phrase from this week? Um, what, what was... I haven't got Well, one. I you, thought I think there was something in there with Stephen Graham. The female... I aspire to be... I aspire to be... <laughs> I aspire to be... The female musical theatre equivalent of Stephen Graham. A sensual experience. <laughs>